The Jonathan Cruz case was hastily investigated by authorities, but many questions remain. Come behind the curtain with private investigator Sheila Wysocki as she uncovers the truth about what happened to Jonathan. This is Without Warning. Warning. The following episode contains elements that are graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Now what, Bert? This is someone's out of your emergency. Now what, where is your emergency? Gorgeous. What's going on, man? Medic 411, Jack 411, respond. I'm the emergency. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm going to do this, though. Oh, my God. Ma'am, ma'am, I need you to tell me where you are. I am. What happens on a 911 call can impact an investigation. Could the caller on the other end actually be the killer or a helpful girlfriend? 911 calls are the beginning of an investigation. 911, what is your emergency? Basically, what happened? What happened in the apartment with Jonathan and Brenda? The next few minutes can have a profound impact on the direction or course of an investigation. While listening, take note of the 911 dispatch operator and Brenda. What questions are being asked and what answers Brenda gives. In the last episode, you heard about Brenda, her past relationships. You heard from her ex-boyfriend, Matthew Kirk, her mentor, Henry Sue, the owner of Wu Yi, and the family. I will be discussing the 911 call. When I investigate a case, all investigations start with the 911 call. 911 calls are the first recorded record of what the story is going to be. If you listen closely, you will pick up clues to what happened. There is no doubt 911 calls are stressful, emotional, and chaotic. Because of the emotional stress, the caller most likely will give more information than they intended to. In my investigations, I will bring in a 911 expert and a statement expert to listen to the calls and give their feedback. As a bonus in this case, a friend of Jonathan's, Caitlin, will be talking about the call. Caitlin was a 911 dispatch operator who also trained other 911 operators. Caitlin had known Jonathan since the ninth grade. You heard the story of Jacob, Jonathan's friend and former college roommate about the prank Jonathan played on her. In the episode, you will hear directly from Caitlin about the prank. Caitlin will then take you through her thoughts about the 911 call. Homicide detectives will comb through a 911 call to hear what the caller is saying. If you listen to the words used, you can tell if a caller is telling you the truth or trying to convince you of a story. 
Innocent 911 callers are frantic to get help for the person they are calling about. In this case, it was Jonathan. Did Brenda hang on every word to provide aid to Jonathan? Did she have hope in her voice that he was still alive? Did she follow the instructions of the 911 operator? Did Brenda give immediate assessment of Jonathan? Did Brenda focus on Jonathan? Did Brenda believe Jonathan was dead? Listen to the sounds in the back. 911 operators are trained to listen to sounds. Was Brenda where she said she was? Do you hear her knock, beg for help to get aid for Jonathan? Listen for clues. Did Brenda volunteer an assessment of Jonathan? Where and what were his injuries? And if he was unresponsive? The very basic of focusing on Jonathan. Did the 911 dispatch operator have to pull out of Brenda what was going on with Jonathan? Let's go through the highlights of the 911 call. The beginning of the call is basically Brenda crying. Remember, Jonathan is in the background with a bullet in his chest. My question to you, would you take that as stalling? He's dying. He's dying. He did himself. He did himself. He shot himself? Yes. Normally in a 911 call, you would want to hear my boyfriend early, my boyfriend Jonathan, or even just Jonathan, saying he four times comes across as someone trying to distance themselves from the situation. Do you live there? <laughs> no, 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 he's my boyfriend. Your boyfriend, what's his no, name? <laughs> Jonathan. Jonathan what? Finally, Brenda informs the 911 operator that Jonathan is her boyfriend. The operator had to pull that information out of her. Let's take a moment and acknowledge the 911 operator could have done a better job. The question that he should have asked earlier is now being asked. What did he did he use a gun or what happened? Yes, he used a gun. Did he mean to do it? Did he do it on purpose? No. Yeah, he did on purpose. Where did he shoot himself at? I don't know. It seems that he's in there. I can see the wound because it's too much blood. I'm just pressing on it. Is it his head or his chest? No, his chest. This is a very important moment. What did he Did he use a gun or what happened? Yes, he used a gun. Did he mean to do it? Did he do it on purpose? No. Yeah, he did on purpose. The question, did he mean to do it? Did he do it on purpose? Brenda's answer, no. Then she immediately changed it. Yeah, he did it on purpose. Typically, a 911 operator would have taken that answer and run with it, asked more questions, followed up. Not in this case. Where did he shoot himself at? I don't know. It seems that he's in there. I can see the wall because it's too much blood. I'm just pressing on it. Is it his head or his chest? No, his chest. <laughs>
remember this answer. Later, I will go over the crime scene. Brenda said she is pressing on Jonathan's wound. A gunshot, meaning what? Blood. How she presented herself to the first responder is important. Physical evidence actually tells the story. Where did he shoot himself at? I don't know. It seems that he's a never. I can see the wolf. You can see much blood. I'm just pressing on it. <laughs> Is it his head or his chest? No, his chest. <laughs> Is there any way that you can go to a neighbor's or anything to let me know so you can verify the address for me? <laughs> no, I don't want to leave him alone. Over and over, the operator and Brenda go over about the location of the apartment. We're not going to go through that. <laughs> Some investigators believe there is a significance to the word please throughout. However, you will hear Caitlin's opinion. Finally, the focus is put on Jonathan by the second dispatch operator. We can't, we can't help him if you don't tell us where he is. I need, you, I need you to do it now. I need you to go now. I need you to go now. Are you going outside? Okay, I want you to go and knock on a door or find a name of something. And while you're doing it, I need you, I need you to take a deep breath and, and collect yourself, okay? Calm down, okay? We, it's not going to do anybody any good if you don't if you don't help us. We want to help. We need to get in some help. We want to help you. So I need you to tell us where he is. Yeah. Okay. What's that? What's the apartment number you just came out of? One oh three. I mean eight one eight one three. Eight one three. Yeah. It's downstairs. Yes. Okay. Okay. You don't know the name of that complex when you drove in? No. Would you, did you drive into the, the gate off of MacArthur, or was it another street? Yes. No, it was MacArthur. Was it right off MacArthur? Yes. Okay. Listen carefully and think, Jonathan is laying on his bed dying. Brenda is knocking on the door. Do you hear the knock? Now think about it. If your boyfriend needed help, how hard would you knock, scream, and beg? Thoughts? More talking about the location. Now this is the moment of the 911 call that defines it. Brenda spontaneously tells us River Chase Apartments. No one told her. There are no signs around Jonathan's apartment. I have been there many, many times. Try another door if you, I need you to find, tell somebody to tell us exactly so we know where you are. River Chase Apartments. So now she knows which apartments. River Chase? Okay. Yes. Okay, now, how long, how long, how long has he been there? I don't know how long it's been. When's the last time you talked to him? I'm sorry. However, she doesn't know how long he's been there. 
She doesn't know anything else. The last time she talked to him, none of it. These are very simple questions. And I know that in an investigation, I don't know doesn't work. While you're thinking about that, let's take a commercial break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I wait outside, okay? I need you to wait outside. Can you stay outside? Oh my God, he's it's red purple. Okay, I need. Okay, okay, okay. I, I, I need. Can you? I need you to wait outside. Can you do that? This is not. This is not helping. It's not helping. You need to go outside. Okay. I need. You, you're not. It's not. That's not helping you. If you go, you just need to wait outside, okay? I am outside. Okay. Just wait there and wait and watch for the fireman, okay? Okay? Watch for the fireman. Are you standing by the by the street? What? Okay, listen to me. I want to ask you some more questions, okay? I need you I need you to listen to me. Listen to me. What's your name? Brenda. Linda? Brenda. Brenda. Okay, Brenda. Brenda. Okay. Okay. Are you are you waiting out by the the parking lot to to wave the fireman in? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Was he? His name is Jonathan, right? Yes, Jonathan Cruz. Cruz. Okay. Did he live there alone? Yes. Okay. When you when you walk when you walked in, what did you see? The problem from the start from the 911 operator is he made wrong assumptions. He assumed Brenda walked in on Jonathan. He did not understand and she did not convey it that she was there. She was there when that gun went off. We were just uh, having a discussion and we were just talking and then I just, he just said he loved me and I didn't believe him. And he said he was going to prove that he loved me. Okay, and so what, what? I didn't know that he had a gun. Did he do that while you were there? Yes. Are you still? Once the question started to focus, Brenda disconnected the line. Next, we will finish up with Caitlin, Jonathan's longtime friend. While you wait, think about this. Did Brenda try to convince 911 dispatch of a story? Were there awkward phrases? Any conflicting facts? My favorite, any of, I don't know, or please. Post your thoughts. I want to hear from you. Go to Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Make sure you download this episode and share with friends. I want to hear what you think. My name is Caitlin. Um, I've been friends with Jonathan Cruz since he joined our school in ninth grade. And we've just been in the same inner circle with each other for life. I am a 
police dispatcher or also known as public safety telecommunicator. I've been one for about eight years now, actually. Um, I'm EMD certified, which is the medical side of it. And I've also um, been certified to train new hires. Jonathan and I were good friends. I mean, we had a tight knit, close group of friends with about four or five of us. Um, I lived with Jacob for a few years and I lived with Andrew for a few years and they were his best friends. So they would always come over to our apartments. I mean, in the morning I would wake up and just walk out getting ready for work and Jonathan was there asleep on the couch. I mean, it was, he was no stranger to being over at our apartment. So, okay. So Jonathan and I, our relationship, we were like brothers and sisters, but not the ones that, you know, get along all the time. We bicker all the time at each other. And so he was always trying to get me with practical jokes, and I was always trying to get him with practical jokes. And so one time I went out of town, and, you know, my only rule for going out of town was Jonathan cannot come into my room. He had to stay out, and everybody agreed to it. So I came home and opened my door, and I'm greeted with all my underwear hanging from the ceilings, hanging from my doorknobs hanging from just random places in my room. And of course I was mortified, but, and there was no question who did it. I automatically knew it was Jonathan. So you didn't think Jacob or Andrew would have done it? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, Jacob did practical jokes on me too, but I mean, Jacob would hide in the dark and wait for me to come home. But no, this was definitely a Jonathan practical joke. When I received the 911 call, the copy of the 911 call, I sent it on to you and yeah. you and I had the conversation of, first of all, I asked if you were okay listening to it. You yeah. agreed. I wanted your expertise on 911 calls. Do you remember going through it? And can you talk about that? Um, it's been a while since I listened to it. So I don't know exact time frames, but I do remember listening to it. Um, I struggled with the call alone. I mean, it's, I've heard these calls before. I've taken calls the trauma really doesn't bother me. It's something that I can handle. It was a little different because I knew the person on the other end, but mostly I was going through it and there was I was very critical of the call. There was a bunch of things that should have been done differently. I don't know if it would have changed the outcome, but possibly something could have been said over the phone. There was times that you could hear Jonathan in the background and nobody addressed that. Nobody asked, is that him? Can we save him? Can we do CPR? Can you... It, it just... it in my opinion, was a horrible call. The fact that it was Jonathan on the other end, what were you listening for specifically as his friend? Um, I mean, there's a couple things. It's it's hard for me to listen to a call and go into necessarily a friend mode. She said, I know she didn't say an exact address at the beginning, but there were certain things as a dispatcher that I listened for so that I can at least start a call to the close area and get people swarming to that area. Um, she said quickly after she started the call, she gave an intersection. To me, that would have been a good enough point to initiate a call and start from there. She's, obviously, she was saying that she lived in an apartment number. At that intersection, there's not that many apartment numbers. So it wouldn't take have taken long to at least search those apartments. Shortly after that, she gives almost driving directions. She says, you know, this intersection north on this street, and it's the first apartment complex on your right. Any officer who drives the beat knows the beat like the back of his hand. I mean, that's his beat. It's beat integrity. 
there would be no question in my mind that they wouldn't have been able to quickly find that apartment. Do you feel like the 911 officer had enough information to get somebody there within seconds or minutes? I mean, it was two and a half minutes in when you kind of hear Jonathan in the background. Yeah, I mean, there's there's multiple things going on when a call comes in. I mean, if it's a cell phone, it's not a precise location. We have to do something called rebidding, which we're looking for a wireless phase two, which is going to give us somewhat of an exact location. Sometimes it can be as accurate as plotting over the house itself. So in an apartment complex, if it's plotting over the apartment complex, it's kind of tricky because you don't know because there's multiple houses within that development. But it at least plots over that apartment complex. Um, Not only that, with that going on and her giving you driving directions, there should have been no question about where she was. One of the things in the 911 call when they asked her to go knock on a neighbor's door, what was your feeling about that? I mean, that's typically something we do. I mean, we'll say, do you have a piece of mail? Can you grab a piece of mail? No. Okay. Can you go outside and at least look at the apartment number? Tell us the apartment number. Um, I think if I remember correctly on the call, she had no problem knowing the apartment number. She just didn't know the address and the name of the apartment complex. To me, with all the other information that he had, wouldn't have necessarily been my focus at that point anymore. I mean, if my phone is on that wireless phase two position and it's plotted over the right apartment complex, plus what she had said, I mean, there's other questions that were missed. I mean, like I said, you can hear Jonathan in the background. Nothing was ever mentioned about that. Um, She sounded like she was moving a couple times because Jonathan went from being more audible to sounding further away to sounding audible again. Um, She was panicking, which is normal, but she was still giving information. Also, the whole time I felt that the first call taker, because you can tell definitely towards the end, somebody else takes over and his demeanor is different. It's more demanding. It's more authoritative. Um, But the first call taker, he wasn't even paying attention to the fact that she walked or he thought that she walked in and found him that way instead of that she was there when it happened. Because he's so, I think, wrapped up in his mind and frantic about the fact that she doesn't have the exact address. And so he failed. He missed a bunch of critical information. When you train people, what do you say about that? What what do you tell them to look for on those calls? We are multitaskers. I mean, we're listening to what they say, but we're also listening to background stuff. We're looking at our phones to verify. We're typing. Um, Most of the time, if you're taking a call, you're not necessarily dispatching out the units. Sometimes you do work a channel and you do take a call. It happens. Um, But you're focused on, I mean, I know it sounds almost impossible, but you're focused on the whole call itself. So you're asking questions, you're listening, but you're also preparing what your next question is. There shouldn't be long gaps. Um, Also, if somebody's bleeding or somebody's hurt, you're also giving instructions, you know, how to control the bleeding or doing CPR. And you have to be authoritative. You have to be, listen to me. Help is on the way. My questions aren't delaying the process, but we need to help him. You know, where is he shot from? Okay. Is he still breathing? You know, and then do the apply pressure while still asking her things. What happened? 
you go into the process of they're dead. Okay, this may be a CPR call. We're going to do whatever we can to save them unless they give us certain signals or unless they refuse to help them. Um, If somebody calls in and says they're dead, one of my first questions is, why do you think they're dead? I mean, it would be no different when somebody calls in and they're like, he's intoxicated. Well, why do you think he's intoxicated? I mean, you're there, you see stuff. We don't because we're on the phone. So just saying simple words, well, what does that mean? I mean, is he, when you say he's dead, is he cold? Is he not breathing? Is he just not waking up? I mean, what is it that's making you say the word dead? And how did it happen? Was he choking? Was he, you know, just standing in front of you and then all of a sudden collapsed? Or was it a situation that you walked in on because you hadn't seen him for two or three days? I'm going to pause for a moment for a commercial break. Take me through the phone call. And I know it's been a while, but there, the second started asking very informative questions where, you know, what happened? What else would you have wanted to, of course, she didn't answer. As soon as those questions came on, she hung up. Mm -hmm. So what would you have wanted to know? I mean, in those situations, usually in a perfect world, there's not enough time to ask all the questions because usually by then help has arrived. Um, In cities like that, response time is amazing. I mean, there should be no problem. But in a perfect world, you know, if she would have called and said what had happened, you know, we would have tried to stop the bleeding. If he was not breathing, you know, start CPR, just asking her what happened, you know, and if she was there at the time, you know, why did he do this? You know, where were you? Is anybody else hurt? You know, just little things like that. I mean, there's a bunch of what ifs you can play on calls and it's hard to predict how they're going to go. I mean, a lot of times you feed off the caller. Um, If the caller is refusing to answer something, you usually ask it two times. And if they don't answer it, either rephrase it or move on to another one. Question of, were you there when he shot himself or Mm -hmm. whatever it was? I can't remember exactly. I should have it. But when someone doesn't answer that, Mm -hmm. what do you guys normally do or think? I would get, I call it my mama voice on. Um, If something's not right, we know. Um, a lot of times all the dispatchers will joke, you know, we have the, the case solved before the police arrive on the scene. We know when something's not right. We can tell with the inflection of the voice. Also, some, some things that are said just don't sit right. I mean, I know one time in the tape she said, or the dispatcher told her to go wait outside, which is something we would do. And then she all of a sudden says, his lips are blue, his lips are blue. To me, that caught me off guard because, wait a minute, you said you were outside. You're outside. How do you know his lips are blue right now? So, I mean, there's little certain things. I mean, and she goes from freaking to calm to freaking again, which we call that re-freak. So that's nothing new. People do that. All of a sudden they see something or something happens where they get amped up again after we've calmed, calmed them down. But, I mean, when she went to go knock on the door, and then all of a sudden we can't hear anything. That to me was a little odd. Normally when somebody's talking to somebody else in the room or asking questions, we hear the background conversation. We may not be able to make out every single word, but we know, oh, she's talking to somebody. 
Um, a lot of times we'll get 911 hang up calls and they're pocket dials, but we're listening to the background to see what's going on. And a lot of times, you know, we can put, it sounds like children in the playground playing, or uh, it sounds like it's an adult who's at work, little things like that, but we can still pick up the background noise of it. So the fact that when she's talking to a neighbor and she has the phone with her and we can't hear anything is a little odd. Call like that would, or should in a perfect world, go out immediately and it should get the full attention of everybody. It should get multiple officers. It should get, you know, fire and medical as well. Um, it would definitely be, I ballpark it. And like I said, I don't know specifically for this city, but I would say the response time should be somewhere between, you know, four to six minutes. Describe what the radio traffic is. Um, radio traffic, it just depends on the channel that you're working um, in the city on how it is. But um, the past couple of cities that I've worked for, radio traffic is the, basically the conversation between the officers and dispatch. Um, you're giving updated information on the call as it comes in. Officers are asking questions to you. Hey, ask this, or do we have this, or I'm en route. And then when they get on scene, you know, sometimes there's radio traffic about that. You know, if they're to arrest somebody, they'll say on the radio, I have one in custody. Um, it gives detailed accounts of what's going on when it's going on. Sometimes officers will key up if it's an apartment complex and they need a gate code. They'll key up and be like, I need a gate code. Um, they'll ask if the fire department's en route for a call. Um, sometimes if it's a hostile situation where there's a weapon involved and something's going wrong, They'll key up and they'll be like, okay, the, you know, scene is safe or the area is secure. You can have the fire department come on in now. So a lot of times if it's a dangerous situation involving weapons or some sort of, you know, fight, domestic issue, and paramedics are needed, we'll have them stage or stand by outside until it's safe to come in and treat whoever is needed. In Jonathan's case, the police officer went in and moved the gun and then the EMTs came in. I assume that's pretty standard, right? Um, I don't know necessarily policy and procedure for the officers. Um, I do know that what I've been told by crime scene people before is they treat every suicide as a possible murder or homicide until they can prove otherwise. Um, I know that on crime scenes, even as little as an accident, that has injuries. Sometimes dozens and dozens and dozens of photos are taken. I mean, you'll exhaust the camera roll, um, especially if somebody on scene is saying that they were there for the incident. I mean, you're going to ask questions, you know, well, why did he do this? And I mean, I'm assuming that she at some point said that they were having an argument that kind of changes the situation. I mean, it doesn't rule out completely that he may have done it to himself, but now we're starting to get, the story's starting to get a little bit juicier. And so you're definitely going to look into a bunch of things. When does the 911 operator disconnect from a scene? As soon as the police are on scene or have made contact. Um, if I'm taking a domestic call and people are arguing back and forth, I'm not hanging up until the officer's there knocking at the door and I hear him in the background. But then, I, yes, I am immediately hanging up. So you're in contact with the police officer. Are you in contact with the EMTs also? Um, depending if you work that channel. Um, a lot of times the fire dispatch channel and the police dispatch channel are separate. 
And so you'll have two different people working it, but they'll say the same thing. I mean, they'll, you'll give them notes over the radio. Sometimes Um, some agencies you don't, and they just read the notes on their screen that comes in as the call taker types it. Um, They'll sit there and they'll say things like patient contact, which means that they're at the patient, their hands are on the patient. Um, Depending on the call, they'll key up and say CPR in progress, or they'll say that the patient is dead. So what do you think happened? There's multiple scenarios I've gone through. I mean, with um, I've gone through scenarios in my head where I think that she was upset that Jonathan was going to leave her. And so she grabbed the gun, didn't know it was loaded, pointed it at him. And I thought maybe she was going to scare him and pulled the trigger thinking it was empty. And it wasn't. Um, I've gone through the scenario that when he sleeps, he's a heavy sleeper. And if, according to the autopsy and the police report, he was in bed, partially covered up. So if he was sleeping hard, there then is no doubt in my mind that she did it intentionally. Um, knowing some things that the police report has and some of the other things that I've said, like the clip was under his ties. Jonathan would have never put a clip under his ties. Those ties were his prized possessions. I mean, another story, we were out at dinner once and he was wearing his tie and he was freaking out because he thought he was going to get his tie dirty. And of course, that whole nagging thing again, I was like, really, come on, stop. And he was like, will you hold my tie? Will you put it in your purse? Make sure you don't bend it. There's nothing in your purse that's going to get it dirty, right? Um, So, I mean, it's just odd that he would have the clip under his ties. So... There's just things that don't add up. Guns are oily and greasy, correct? Yes. So Jonathan would not put anything oily and greasy near his ties. No, he didn't even want food near his ties. There's no way he would have put anything oily or greasy. I mean, he had some pretty extravagant ties in there. He would let you know, definitely. Yeah, expensive, nice designer brand. What did you think when you heard that Jonathan was dead and how did you hear? Well, so a couple days before the incident happened, um, I had a dream. And recently, about a year prior to that, Andrew and I um, had lost one of our good friends whose name was also John. Uh, Two days before the incident happened, I had a dream that I was crying to Andrew And in my dream, I said, just couldn't, I, we can't do this again. I, we just went through this. I can't bear losing another friend. And the dream upset me enough to where in the morning I woke up, I immediately called Andrew and I told Andrew my dream. And he's like, don't worry. You're coming out here tomorrow. Everything's going to be fine. I mean, it's just, it's just one of your dreams. So I flew out to San Diego instead of going to the Super Bowl party. Um, which we all were supposed to go to. And I spent the Super Bowl with Andrew. And in the morning, my cell phone keeps ringing. And I look at it, and it's Christian Cruz. And I was like, that's weird. I don't know why he's calling me, but I know that he lives out here from time to time, whatever. And I was tired, so I muted it. And then he called again. And I was like, something's wrong now. So I answered it and he goes, hey, are you with Andrew? And I said, it's Jonathan. And he goes, yes. And I said, hold on. I got up out of my bed, 
went to Andrew, gave him the phone, and I said, you have to take this. I can't. So I immediately knew something was wrong, but I figured that it would would have been a car crash. Um, never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined that he was allegedly shot. When we did find out that he was shot, my first instinct or first reaction was he didn't do that. Somebody that knows guns like that and anyone will tell you that if they're going to harm themselves, they're not going to shoot themselves like that with the possibility of living and being in in pain. Um, they're going to shoot themselves to end themselves. So, and then immediately and I start bawling and Andrew turns to me and he goes, your dream. It's your dream. And I said, I know. And we all knew something was wrong. And then as the days went by and different behaviors of Brenda came out and different facts of the case came out, it became more and more clear that there is no way he could have done this to himself. Without a doubt, I would bet everything I have on the fact that he did not pull the trigger on himself. Yeah, we flew back uh, together. Um, We immediately changed our, well, I changed my flight to come back earlier. Um, Andrew booked his flight with mine so we could fly back together and we flew in. What's the code for dead? Um, I think it's different from a lot of agencies, but the ones that I've worked for, it's Signal 27. Here is this week's question. If you have a question, please email Sheila at SheilaWysocki.com and share your question. My name is Morgan, and I'm a student at MTSU majoring in criminal justice, and I just had a question. In reference to last week's episode when discussing the Kung Fu camp, was anybody there aware that a minor was sharing a room with Brenda, who at the time was an adult of the opposite sex? No one at the camp seemed to question it, which is very concerning as a parent myself. This section is called My Favorite Finds of Nashville. Nashville has a new company called Blush Nashville. CEO and creator Hannah Kenny started it in Nashville as a premier bachelorette party and girls trip service. It is the funnest time you can have in Nashville. You can follow Hannah on at Blush Nashville, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. Give her a call if you're headed to Nashville. Enjoy the weekend here. It's a fun place. And my next find, Trimlight of Nashville is one of my favorite finds. Trimlight offers permanent holiday lights with installation in the Nashville area. That's right, permanent lights so you don't have to take them on and off, on and off in December. It is such a fun little treat to decide what color tonight you're going to show your lights. My neighbors enjoy it, and I do too. The phone number is 615-669-4445. Tell them Sheila sent you. In every case, there is someone in the community who holds information that may be significant in solving a case. Relationships change over time, and many cold cases are solved when a former witness, friend, or relative is located who is tired of hiding information and shares that information with investigators. If you have any information about this case, please contact our voicemail comment line 
at 888-599-0008. You can leave an anonymous tip or you can leave your contact information. We will call you back and speak with you directly. You can also email information to Sheila at SheilaWysocki.com. Without warning, executive director, executive producer, and host Sheila Wysocki. Announcer, Tim Evans. 